You're listening to The Jeff Caven Show, episode 175, Is a New Jesus Movement Coming? Hey, I'm Jeff Cavins. How do you simplify your life? How do you study the Bible? All the way from motorcycle trips to raising kids, we're going to talk about the faith and life in general. It's The Jeff Caven Show. Well, I remember growing up back in the 60s and the 70s, and it was a really, really strange time, uh, politically, socially, music in every way. I remember back in those days so clearly. But the one thing that stands out to me as I think back to the, the late 60s and the early 70s was the, the political unrest, not only in our country, but around the world. And, and everybody was out marching against the, the war in Vietnam, and so many things were changing. You know, the 60s were really about a lot of change in the world. With We had the technological revolution, sexual revolution, and uh, communications was, was completely different. And it was at that time that Vatican II... Uh, in the early 60s, came out with a new document, one of the great uh, Vatican, Vatican II documents called Gaudium et Spes, The Church in the Modern World. And it was really uh, powerful how the church responded to all the changes that were going on in the world. If you haven't read Gaudium et Spes, The Church in the Modern World, I really recommend that you that you do that. You get a copy of it and and really read it slowly and absorb it, because if you took the date off of that writing, uh, you, you would think it was today. You really would. And there was one individual who had a part in the crafting and the framing of, a, of that particular document, and that was Carol Wojtyla, Cardinal Carol Wojtyla, uh, prior to becoming the great Pope John Paul II. And I think that uh, as we go through difficult times today, socially, just turn on the news, you'll see it, uh, not only with COVID-19, but, but all of the different demonstrations that are taking place and the, the idea of dismantling the police and, and the various uh, social movements that are taking, taking place. I think John Paul II is a great, is a great one to, uh, to get acquainted with because he was not only acquainted with all of the changes back in the 60s and the 70s, but he was acquainted with the, the changes that took place in the world in World War II and uh, uh, the, the Holocaust that took place and all of the, the persecution that took place among the Catholics in, in Poland. So anyway, I, I really think that he is someone that we need to be paying attention to uh, right now. And I want to talk about uh, the Jesus movement that took place in the 60s and 70s and uh, some of the parallel events that are taking place today and what was the solution. What did, uh, what did the young people rise up and begin to talk about back in the 60s and 70s? And what would I recommend that we start talking about today and focusing on uh, none other than Jesus Christ? Hey, if you want to get the show notes to all of, my, all of my shows today and going forward, all you have to do is text me at Jeff Cavins, that's Jeff Cavins, at 33777. That's Jeff Cavins 33777. The Jeff Cavins is just one word. Hey, I do have an announcement, and you're always proud of uh, the work your wife does. My wife has been working on getting the new JeffCavins.com website up and 
up and running. And it's really Jeff and Emily because she's she's such a you know a part of all of this in my life, and I, I appreciate her so much. And she's been working very hard behind the scenes at rolling out the new website, jeffgavens.com, which is a place where we talk about our pilgrimages to the Holy Land, and we talk about this podcast and YouTube channel, which I'm going to be putting some some new videos up there shortly, and uh, all the other things that are going on in her life. Uh, you can go there, and I, if you want to stay in touch on that side, you can simply sign up on the site, and I do have a uh, a free document that I will give you, and it's a document that tells you how long it takes to read all 73 books of the Bible, individually, that is. If you want to know how long it takes to read Philippians or or 1 Corinthians or Romans or Psalms, I give you the time length for every single book. And you know that I'm an advocate for uh, swapping network news for Bible reading time and, and swapping all the, the wasted hours that we have for Bible reading time. So if you want that document, you can sign up there at my website, jeffcavens.com, and, and we'll get that read. That PDF will be sent right, right back to you. So the Jesus movement, what am I talking about? Well, you can Google it and find out a lot about it, uh, a, a lot about it. But it took place really in the late '60s and the early '70s in the United States, and and it came on the heels of so much political unrest. In the '60s, we had the the assassination of President Kennedy, uh, the the assassination of Martin Luther King and, and Robert Kennedy. Uh, we had uh, Kent State and all of the, the marching against Vietnam, and we had uh, Woodstock at the beginning of the 70s. There was just so much change going on in the world back in the 60s and 70s. And as a, as a response to that change, there was an organic movement that took place in the United States that many people just simply called the Jesus Movement. And out of that Jesus movement, we had people, particularly young people, who were who were really turned on to the Lord and were seeking the Lord with all of their heart, and and uh, started coming together. And there was a a boom in evangelization that took place during that time, where young people were were not afraid to talk about the Lord and read their Bibles, and and a whole a whole uh, genre of music grew out of that era. And that was the um, really the the precursor to contemporary Christian music. And for some of you who really do like praise and worship music, you're familiar with Hillsong, and and we in the Catholic community have so many wonderful artists today. Well, out of that that tumultuous time of the '60s and '70s grew a a move and an outpouring of the Holy Spirit that I believe was a response to the craziness and a response to the confusion that was going on in the world. And today, I, I can't help but, but see the parallel between the 60s and 70s and what's going on today with the marching in the streets and COVID-19 and people wanting to disband uh, government and disband the police force, uh, which I hope doesn't happen for our sake. But there's so many parallels there, and I'm just wondering if today's young people are going to respond to this chaos uh, by proclaiming Christ, proclaiming Jesus, not, not ashamed of, of going by the name Christian. Back then it was Jesus freak. Maybe some of you remember back in the 60s and 70s, those that were really excited about the Lord were, were kind of named Jesus freaks, right? And... Uh, 
and I was myself, and that, that that didn't bother me at all. It's kind of a badge of honor to be to be honest with you. But uh, I'm wondering if today's young people are going to rise up and not be ashamed of proclaiming Jesus Christ in the culture today, because I truly believe with all of my heart that Jesus is the answer to the situations that we're facing today. One of the topics that comes up uh, quite often is the topic of justice. And I am actually preparing a couple of shows in the future on justice. I've been doing a lot of studying on justice. But one of the things that I'm really praying that we don't do today in response to uh, all that we see in the, in the street is that we don't change the concept of justice. You know, justice is not giving people what they want. Justice is giving people what is due them. And justice starts with God. And we as the people of God are the ones who walk in justice. And we can't acquiesce and we can't simply give to people what they want in, in, under the banner of justice. Uh, that's just not what justice is. And I hope we have the the backbone and the and the um, the strength to stand up and uh, and speak truth and and proclaim justice and do justice uh, in our society today. You know, I remember so well back in the '70s, and I'll just give you a little a little story. Uh, I I too grew out of this, uh, grew up in and out of this entire tumultuous time of the 60s and early 70s. And it was in my first year of college that I, too, was looking for answers. I was a, a young guy with my bell-bottom jeans and my, my long hair and my bandana and my, my platform shoes and my rock and roll music and all of that. I, I was looking for answers, and I was looking for truth. And I started reading, you know, I was raised Catholic, but I didn't really recognize any, any, any uh, explicit truth in, in, uh, in the church at that age, uh, certainly not anything that I could act on or make, a, make as a, a foundation in my life. But I, I started turning to things like Eastern religions, and, uh, meditation, the Bhagavad Gita, the Tibetan Book of the Dead, and Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance, and a lot of the books that were out during those, those times. But it was in my freshman year of college that something happened to me as I responded to a lot of these young people who were not ashamed to proclaim the gospel. I went to a junior college. I was, I was supposed to go to California with my good friend Randy, and uh, he went out to California. We were both going to pursue an acting career. Uh, he went out there, and I decided to stay back in the Twin Cities and to get some of my college prereqs out of the way. So I ended up going to a junior college in the Twin Cities for my first year. It was, it was in that first year that I met a young lady by the name of Emily, and uh, today she goes with uh, goes by the last name Cavens. She's my wife. I met her in my in my first year, second semester, and I met her in a class called cultural anthropology. And I figured out a way to get her to go out with me finally. And we went out, and uh, of all things, we went bowling. But that night, Emily uh, uh, unashamedly told me about her relationship with Jesus and how much she loved Jesus. Now, I was Catholic, she was Protestant, but she would tell me about her relationship with Jesus, and she would show me the Bible that she had, and, and she invited me to come on over to her house and spend some time with her mother, who introduced me to Scripture in, a, in such a powerful, powerful way. Uh, more on that on future shows, I'm sure. 
But I was intrigued by their boldness to proclaim Christ, particularly during a time when, when people were doing so much you know, drugs and, and the rock and roll and the political unrest and, and Vietnam and everything else. Here was this beautiful young lady with a smile on her face telling me that Jesus loved me and that he had a plan for my life. Make a long story short, I, I responded to that, and I picked up on the language that they were using, like born again and saved and give my life to Christ, and he's got a plan for my life. And I remember just a, a few weeks after meeting Emily, I was going back home to my parents' house, and I pulled over on the side of the road, and this 18-year-old kid with the long hair, interviewing rock groups, editor of the college paper, pulled over on the side of the road, and I began to weep. And I cried out and I said, Jesus, I want what they have. I want that life. I want that purpose. I want that meaning in my life. And uh, that night in February of 1977, something happened in my life that changed my life forever. And I had this sense inside that I was going to be proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ for the rest of my life. Don't ask me how I knew that. I... I don't know how I knew that. I just knew that night that I would be spending the rest of my life telling people about Jesus. It was shortly after that, maybe a day or so, I think it might have even been the next day, I went out and bought a Bible. And now I'm going back to school, and I have this new experience with Jesus, and I have a brand new Bible. And I went back to school, and I discovered this one particular area of the school that was a, a sunken area surrounded by steps. It was like you had to you had to take four steps down into this sunken area with beanbag chairs. Yeah, we had beanbag chairs. And uh, people would bring their coffee there. And this area of the school was called the pit. And it was probably, oh, I don't know, it was 20 feet by 40 feet, something like that. It was called the pit. Now, the people who gathered there all throughout the day were the Christians. I'm talking about, you know, 18, 19, 20, 21, 23-year-old, 24-year-old people that gathered there all throughout the day. In between classes, if you wanted to know where the Christians were, you went to the pit. And so I started to go to the pit, and I brought my brand new Bible with me, and I started to talk to these college students about their relationship with the Lord. And I explained to them that I, I too had this new relationship with the Lord. I think back about that, that time in my life, and I have to tell you that it was one of the most powerful times and the most influential times of my life, meeting with people every day. In fact, some days I didn't even go to class. I'm not recommending it, but I didn't go to class. I went to the pit, and there I learned to read Scripture and to share my faith, and and we would pray together. It was it was a transforming moment in my life, to be sure. Well, many of the people who were at the pit were a part of this movement, this Jesus movement that started in the, in the 60s. Now, back in the 60s, there was this tremendous movement, this outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And I want to talk to you a little bit about uh, one meeting in particular that took place in Dallas, Texas, and how that movement had an impact on so many of us today. In fact, there was a meeting in Dallas, Texas, that I'm going to talk about on the other side of the break, that ended up influencing 
Pope John Paul II, who back then was the leader in Krakow, Poland, Karol Tia. I'll explain that right after this. You're listening to The Jeff Caven Show. The saints of the Old Testament would have longed to see what we see in the New Covenant, especially God's presence in the Holy Eucharist. Hi, I'm Dr. Andrew Swafford, theologian and co-author of Ascension's newest great adventure Bible study, Hebrews, The New and Eternal Covenant. In this eight-session study on the book of Hebrews, Jeff Cavins and I highlight the movement from the Old Covenant to the New and show how Jesus Christ fulfills the deepest meaning of the temple and Old Testament priesthood. Through this study, you'll gain a deeper appreciation for the power of the Mass, as well as a better understanding of core Catholic beliefs regarding salvation, the sacraments, the creed, and Mary's role in salvation history. To learn more and discover how you can start this study on your own or with a group, visit ascensionpress.com backslash Hebrews. That's ascensionpress.com backslash Hebrews. Welcome back. We're talking about the idea, uh, is a new Jesus, Jesus movement coming? Are the, uh, uh, the things happening in the news today and in society today similar to back in the 60s when college students r- rose up and started proclaiming Christ in the streets and Christian music just blew up and it was incredible? Uh, the Jesus movement was uh, was to the to the church, particularly Protestant churches, what Woodstock was to music in the in the seventies. Well, I I too responded to this Jesus movement in the seventies in in my first year of of college, and it resulted in me falling in love with the Word of God and falling in love with prayer. And just loving to get together uh, with other Christians to to fellowship. Well, there was a, a a huge, huge happening in Dallas, Texas, and this big happening that took place in in Dallas, Texas, was in 1972. It was called Expo 72. Expo 72, and it took place at the Cotton Bowl and in the northern part of Dallas. Uh, in the northern part of Dallas, they were uh, they were uh, constructing a new highway, the Woodall Rogers Freeway. For those of you that are in Texas, you know what I'm talking about there. And this entire expo went on for over a week. And in fact, Billy Graham spoke, I think, six times, six nights during this this expo. Even uh, Chris Christopherson and Johnny Cash sang at this incredible festival. They had other singers like Love Song and Randy Matthews, The Archers, Children. Children of the day, and and it it became it, it was in fact it was described by by Newsweek magazine as a crowd of militant Christians. <laughs> well, they were they were peaceful Christians to be sure, but Newsweek des- described them as militant Christians. And uh, the festival was was held in this wide open swath of land north of downtown there, and it was just plain powerful. In fact, the statistics tell us that 60% of the young people that attended Expo 72 went into full-time ministry of some kind. They went into ministry, 60% of them. So there was clearly a move of the Holy Spirit. It involved Catholics as well. 
and many Catholics were filled with the Holy Spirit, spoke in tongues, were walking in the power of the Holy Spirit, believing God for the miraculous, believing that God's word would, when it went forth, would, uh, would uh, accomplish that which, which he ordained. It was an exciting Time and it did lead to this whole contemporary music scene. You had um, groups like Larry Norman, and if you come from this era, it's going to be put a smile on your face. Larry Norman, Randy Stonehill, uh, Nancy Honeytree, my my favorite second chapter of Acts, uh, Keith Green, Andre Crouch, and the Disciples, the Imperials. Maybe you remember Barry McGuire, Petra, uh, Dion DiMucci. Dion DiMucci is a great Catholic brother today, and by the way, he's got a blues album coming out. We are friends, and uh, he told me just a few weeks ago, called and told me about this incredible new blues album he has coming out that features uh, an all-star lineup of artists. That's Dion, Dion DiMucci, Phil Keggy. Uh, my one of my all-time favorite guitar players. In fact, when I was hosting Life on the Rock on EWTN, Phil Keggy was on, I think, I think three times, at least twice, he was on the show, and he was considered at one time, and, and maybe still is, one of the greatest guitar player in the world. That's Phil Keggy. Well, anyway, these artists came out of this out of this era. But the one thing I want to draw your attention to is this: in that Expo '72, there were a lot of people who were influenced, and you have been the recipient of the fruit of Expo 72. You might not know it, but you most likely are. David Hill Scott, writing for the May 2005 edition of Christianity Today, documents the effects that Expo 72 had on John Paul II. Yeah, it's very interesting. As a cardinal in Poland, the future pope was heavily influenced toward evangelistic efforts by Joe Loziak. Now, Joe Loziak was a Polish-American student who had attended Expo 72. And Joe Loziak went back to Poland and introduced its concepts to the Roman Catholic officials in Poland, including John Paul II, who, of course, wasn't Pope at that time. But later... We see the evidence of this because when John Paul II wanted to influence a generation of young people, what did he do? He started World Youth Day. Now, Expo 72, it's said on the, on the, uh, the largest day, had about 200,000 people attending north of Dallas there. Well, <laughs> I got news for you. World Youth Day with John Paul II dwarfs that by... Many times, I had the privilege of covering World Youth Day with John Paul II while I was at EWTN for six years. Uh, some of you might not know, but I started Life on the Rock, and I was Mother Angelica's substitute for six years, and uh, and I worked with her on her show. If she you know, wanted me to accompany her, if she couldn't make the show, I would do the show. But it was during that era that I covered Pope John Paul II in Paris, France for World Youth Day in 98 and 2000 in Rome, and then after that, Toronto. And those three uh, World Youth Days were so powerful. I remember in Paris, France, they had, I think it was close to 4 million young people came out to see this old man in white 
proclaim the gospel. Now, you can't explain that other than this was a powerful move of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit moving among young people, giving them an alternative way of living, drawing them close to Jesus, the saints, the Blessed Mother, the Gospels. And I remember covering that, and at times you would just be overcome with emotion as you would look out at the Longchamp racetrack in Paris at four million people. I I don't know if if you've ever seen four million people before, but it'll put a choke in the throat. It is powerful. And John Paul II was influenced by Expo 72 and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in the midst of a culture that was was turned upside down. Now, I, I truly believe with all of my heart that we, we need a, G, a Jesus movement. Now, can you contrive it? No. Can you, can you uh, proclaim it? No. It, it was a grassroots effort that just rose up in response to the tumultuous times, and there was no doubt that the Holy Spirit was orchestrating this. And today, you can, you can see among Protestant churches and Catholic churches, you can see people, the, the people who were influenced by that movement in the 60s and 70s. And, and there's, there's so much fruit that, is, that has come out of it. I believe, my friend, we need such a movement. But as I said, it's not something that, that, that you can contrive. You can't just say, well, we're going to do it. It has to, be, it has to grow out of the passion of individuals who, who raise Jesus up and proclaim him with boldness and tell their own stories of how, of how God has changed their lives. One of, the, one of the, the key markers of this Jesus movement back in the 60s and 70s was um, the hordes of young people who were addicted to drugs and alcohol, and they were free. You see, it wasn't just apologetics. It, wasn't just the, it just wasn't the group talking to each other. The Christians back in this Jesus movement went out and spoke to strangers on the street. They talked to people in their hometown. They were not afraid to proclaim the kerygma, the proclamation of the gospel. And one of the, the things we saw back then was we saw people who were so strung out on drugs and so wasted with alcohol, they were sobered up and they went straight overnight. Jesus set them free. He set them free. Now, our young people today are looking for answers, and they are looking for the answers in a neo-Marxism that I think, frankly, is so dangerous and will recoil upon them and set them in chains themselves. The answer is true freedom. We just got done experiencing the strangest Fourth of July in modern history, and it's about freedom. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, do not return to a yoke of bondage, Galatians 5.1. People today are looking for answers, and they're not going to find the answers in political movements, and they're not going to find the answers in neo-Marxism. They're not going to find the answers in destroying the political system and destroying the, the, uh, the police departments that we have around the country. 
that is not going to be uh, where the answer is found. The answer is found in truth. Jesus said, I am the way, and I am the truth, and I am the life. And that's where the answer is found. But here's the question that I want to challenge you with this week. Where, where are the young people today going to hear about this truth? Currently, many churches don't even meet anymore, and those that meet have just a slice of their former attendance, just a small percentage of their former attendance. I think that we could be facing a move of the Holy Spirit where young people begin to share outside the walls of the church, share Christ with those who are broken and those who are needy and those who are searching and those who are hungering and those who are addicted and depressed. If we don't share Christ with other people and learn to conversantly share the good news of the kingdom of God, where will the answers come from? They will come from neo-Marxism. They will come from, from radical groups who are disrupting society. Yes, justice matters. But justice that comes from the throne of God, not a justice that is contrived by, by groups around the country who simply demand their own ways. If you want your own way, it won't be good. But if you want the way, Jesus Christ, your life will brighten up. And so I want to encourage you this week to pray with me. Pray for a move of the Holy Spirit. Pray for a movement where, where our young people will provide an answer to the, the, the tumultuous times that we are facing. No, the, the, college, the college bureaucrats will not the university leaders will not provide the answer that is needed today. They won't. But the answer will come from the kingdom of God. I truly believe that. I truly do. And that movement back in the 60s and 70s had such a powerful influence on my life. And I know that, that, that many of you listening, you, you were influenced by that movement as well. Would you pray with me that young people today would be influenced by a move of God in the midst of this pandemic? I really hope that happens. I really, really do. I want to talk to you in later shows about some other things that took place during that time. But right now, I just have a sense of urgency in my heart to ask you to pray for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit among our young people today. Would you pray for me? Or pray with me, rather. Pray with me and yeah, pray for me, too. I, I'm always welcoming that. But pray with me. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Lord, I lift up to you today, and along with my brothers and sisters listening, I lift up to you the young people today who are in the streets, young people who are seeking justice, seeking meaning in life. I pray, Lord, that there would be an outpouring of the Holy Spirit in our nation today that would answer the cry of young people's hearts and longings. I pray, Lord, that that you would meet them in their addiction, meet them in their confusion, meet them in their frustration, and give life to them, and life more abundantly. I pray that you would give them, O Lord, a peace that passes all understanding. 
And those that hear this message today, I pray they'll pass it on to others who can pray and spend holy hours before you, O Lord, asking for a move of the Spirit in our nation. I thank you, Lord, for doing a great work and what you did back in the 60s and the 70s and at Arrowhead Stadium in Kansas City and in Pittsburgh. Do it again, Lord. Do it again, Lord, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. I want you to know I love you and I'm praying for you. And together, we are going to see Jesus doing mighty things in this world. God bless you. We look forward to talking to you next week.